The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to thrive in today's competitive business market, you need to constantly adapt to change and shift your business paradigm. Welcome to Business Reinvention with host Nancy Lynn for insights on emerging trends that could impact the future of your business. This hour will have you listening to and thinking like the innovative business leaders of today. Now, here's your host, Nancy Lynn. Hi, this is Nancy Lynn at the Business Reinvention Show, where we share thought-provoking ideas from different industries so that you can connect the dots and stay innovative and competitive. Well, today we're going to take a look at the revolution that is taking place in agriculture, an industry that most of us in the city don't pay much attention to, and yet every day we rely on what it produces. It's also important to point out that the U.S. is the world's leading exporter of agricultural products, and there are over 2 million farms in this country. I always kind of knew that farming is hard work and it could be unpredictable, but I never realized how risky of business it could be until I went to work with farmers in rural Tanzania as a volunteer during one of the worst droughts in the country's history. Sometimes they had to worry about lack of rain, and if there was too much rain or it came at the wrong time, it could wipe out all their previous efforts. And the frightening result is that it could leave you with an insufficient food supply. I once met a family who had to eat the leaves off their crops just to survive, even though it could reduce their yields in the future. It was uh, really heart-wrenching to see. Perhaps this is a problem that Americans don't have to worry about too much, but it gave me new appreciation for the hard labor and complex decision-making involved in one of the oldest industries in the world. So how is new technology helping farmers to manage risk and improve efficiency? How will farming look differently 20 years from now? Well, we have two experts join us today to answer these questions. Dr. Alex Thomason is Professor of Biological and Agricultural Engineering at Texas A&M University. Also with us is Dr. Jim Oltrosky, VP of Engineering at Blue River Technology. Jim and Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Well, really, really happy to have both of you here. Um, I think farming is probably far more complicated than most people think. Um, It's more than just being labor intensive. So before we delve into precision um, agriculture, it would be really helpful if we could get an idea uh, first of the general process of growing the crop. Um, Alex, what are some of the key tasks and challenges involved in the process? Sure, Nancy. This is uh, not a, an exhaustive list, but uh, I would mention a few that are, are the principal tasks that farmers have to work on. One is uh, typically soil preparation prior to planting. Uh, you might think of that as tillage. Uh, another is planting the seeds. Uh, in our country, this is typically done mechanically. Uh, of course, nutrient management, which involves fertilization. Uh, there is also pest management, and pest management includes weed pests as well as insect pests. Uh, there is, of course, also irrigation and uh, potentially drainage for those fields that have problems retaining water. Uh, harvesting, obviously, is a, is a major aspect of the enterprise. And then two uh, aspects that are not necessarily done uh, in sequence with the others but are done all the time. One is marketing of the crop is, is very important. And also machinery management. This is the whole the whole idea of optimizing logistics of, of machinery. Mm. Um, so it's pretty actually a long process, and um, there are a lot of problems involved or challenges, I should say. Um, Jim, what are some of the technologies that are playing key roles in precision agriculture sectors, and what are some of the major challenges that we are trying to address? 
Sure. So I think you know one of the the key technologies that I, I think empowers much of precision agriculture is the use of GPS and and the location data that you get from that. You know, we all have it on our phones now, but the idea that you would put this in a tractor and put it on a farm to give you precise locations for your activities is, is really a, a key to unlocking some of the, the new technology. Um, at the same time, there are, there are new technologies in things like satellite data, so you can get views of your field remotely, um, as well as drones, which is a new big area in, in agriculture and technology for agriculture, where you can now get snapshots of your field and understand what's going on in your fields remotely and do it very quickly and cost-effectively. Mm. Well, let's take maybe um, your product as an example. I know your company has developed lettuce thinning machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the idea behind that? Sure. So at a core level, it's basically like a weeding system. Uh, so we identify plants that, that shouldn't be there, and we, we remove them. Uh, in our case, we spray them with, uh, with a fertilizer that kills the plants. For, for very small plants, fertilizer can be toxic. Um, so it's, it's essentially a, a removal process. In lettuce, it's, it's kind of a peculiar crop in that they have to overplant the lettuce. They plant more seeds than you would like to because not all the seeds germinate, so they have problems with germination. And uh, so they plant basically four or five times as many seeds as they, they need and then go through later on and remove the plants that, that they don't want in order to get the right spacing so the plants grow and, and become healthy. Um, so we've developed a system that automatically does that thinning process. It goes through and identifies plants uh, and figures out which ones to keep and which ones to remove and, uh, and just automatically does that. It can do it um, at uh, rates that we're, we're evaluating over a million plants an hour. So it does it mm. at very high speed. Yeah, so I think a lot of time when people think about farming machines, um, we kind of assume that it's just kind of make it easier to replace the, you know, uh, 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 the physical demanding part of the work. But what's really involved is that there's actually a lot of decision-making involved because it, it sounds like you're using probably facial recognition technology, machine learning, or some sort of data analytics, right, in the, in, in the machine because, you know, it's, it's actually not so easy uh, for machine to just go there. You actually have to make a lot of decision and distinguish but one, you know, a good one versus the bad one. So tell yeah. us more about the technologies behind it and, and what were the challenges that your engineering team had to overcome in order to put the advanced technology to work? Right, yeah, that's that a good description. I think starting with some of the, the machine learning technology, computer vision technology, uh, we are using techniques that are similar to facial recognition or um, other types of recognition that are used at places like Google and Baidu. Um, this, this notion of deep learning is a new technology that, that we're exploring. Uh, but these types of, of algorithms allow you to characterize, in our case, plants uh, very quickly. Uh, we're doing doing these characterizations five times a second, uh, so on images, uh, you know, camera images. So we uh, are able to evaluate these plants and make decisions on them. You know, first off, just determining is it a plant, uh, a crop plant versus a weed, uh, and then also looking at the size and, and shape and kind of health of the plant to make decisions on which ones to keep and which ones to remove. Um, and so to be able to do that very quickly, I think uh, that's, so that's been a key area for us is being able to make those evaluations and, and do them in real time very fast uh, so that we can move this machine through the field quickly and, 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 and get the productivity we need. Uh, at the same time, I think we, we've also had innovations in kind of robustness and, and making sure that the system can work on a farm scale. I think that's one of the things coming from Silicon Valley and a robotics background that, that isn't always appreciated is that farming is such a different as, a different different uh, environment and domain than, say, uh, a robotic assembly line where you know, you've gotten a nice closed indoor environment and nothing's going to disturb it. In farming, you're bumping over rocks and have to deal with rain and all these other things that go on. And uh, just a rock hitting one of our sprayers can bend it out of line and make it so that we go from keeping the plants we want to killing all the plants. And so being robust to that, and, and we've developed algorithms that help us detect those types of problems and, and can uh, make it robust and, and um, safe enough that it can be used in a, in a commercial scale. So how did you do that? Like you said, like you have to, how do they recognize like, and, and tell a rock, you know, from a lettuce and, and a good lettuce from a bad lettuce? What did you yeah, do to accomplish right. that? So, 
it's it's different techniques in computer vision. So we've used some really state-of-the-art techniques in computer vision that allow us to characterize what are the essential elements of, of the types of plants we want and um, be able to kind of focus on those and reject the plants that we don't want. And it's done through collecting just large amounts of data uh, and a lot of manual annotation of the data. So we actually go in and mark which ones are plants, which ones are weeds, and then we feed it into training systems that are uh, that require a lot of computation and can't be done real time. But we train the system to recognize the lettuce plant versus a weed or, or other type of plant. And uh, so, as I said, these are very similar to techniques that are being used in kind of state-of-the-art technologies for uh, detecting lanes for your car or um, detecting different types of video. So uh, it's, it's, it's really cool to see this applied to something so tangible and practical as, as agriculture. Mm, fascinating. So, Alex, do you think that's what makes this generation of revolution different from the previous revolutions? Um, the part that we're using a lot of data-driven um, capabilities for decision-making was the previous ones, maybe it was more replacing physical demands. Um, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, Nancy, I think um, that, you know, data is behind all of the, the new technologies. Uh, uh, GPS was already mentioned, of course. Uh, that's position data. Uh, now we're talking about data that enables us to discriminate among different types of objects, if you will, in the field, such as plants versus soil and different types of plants, crop plants versus weeds. Some of this is done uh, through image analysis techniques. Uh, some of this can be done also through uh, differences in spectra or you know, spectral reflectance or color, if you will. Um, and so those are, you know, some of the sensing aspects are, are really critical, but I think there are some other aspects that are really interesting in the last, uh, let's say, three to five years, and that is just the whole idea of data uh, transmission uh, to the cloud and the availability of data over wide regions that can be analyzed uh, to enhance decision-making on a regional basis uh, down at the, at the farm level, if that makes sense. Okay, great. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about examples and maybe specific products and, 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 and um, solutions um, that we are providing with the new technology. But first, let's take a break. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lim. We'll continue our conversation after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of the curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we help leaders at fast-growing companies develop the leadership capacity necessary to manage growth more effectively. Contact us today to learn more about our executive coaching services and leadership workshops. Call 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com to transform your business and leadership with Change Agent SF. Conversations concerning money can be a bit daunting. There can be limitations with building wealth. And in general, people don't want to discuss their money until now. Listen each week for Conversations with Money, featuring Franco Caligiuri and Marissa Sipolinski. Our guests make money the conversation piece. How to build and maintain wealth, working with charities, and money and family members. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. With co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass, Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Now, back to Business Reinvention. Alex, so um, before the break, um, you touched on some of uh, the 
next technologies are being incorporated into the new smart machines. Uh, what are some of the interesting products out there that you're seeing? Um, what are some of the new problems or problems or new solutions they're providing? Well, these are not uh, over the last five years, but I would say over the last 10 years or so. Uh, and these relate pretty well to some that have already been mentioned, but just uh, technologies that have been developed to discriminate weeds from crop plants, for example, and the ability to apply some sort of mitigation strategy uh, to weeds in the field. And those use uh, color sensing or some type of spectral reflectance sensing technique. And those have been commercially available uh, without the image analysis portion for some time. I think some of the direction that we're going, of course, I just now mentioned uh, cloud computing, but now we're beginning to see uh, some advances in remote sensing, particularly through the use of uh, what I tend to call UAVs or unmanned aerial vehicles. Uh, most people think of them as drones. Uh, these can get very high resolution or uh, very uh, pictures of, at a very highly detailed level of crops in the field and have the potential to uh, be able to explain some of the differences in stress levels in the field, such as stress related to uh, lack of moisture in, in the soil, stress related to uh, the presence of weeds or insects or diseases or something to that effect. And Nancy, if I might just add in, I think what's really interesting from our perspective on this is that uh, you're going from this, this kind of sensing that Alex is talking about where you're able to measure these different characteristics of the crops in real time or, you know, kind of as they're growing, uh, and then being able to tie that into what we think of as action, so uh, take action on those crops. And I think what you, you've seen over the last maybe five to ten years in particular is, uh, and maybe even a little further back, but this notion of going from uh, fairly localized data where you're, you're measuring with some type of sensor that might be on a tractor and varying spray rates and, and application rates of fertilizer or, or pesticides uh, based on what you're seeing in the field and doing that in real time. And I think that that's tying into a lot of this new technology. And, and one of our goals is maybe to take that to the next level to say, Let's take it not just at a field level or at a you know maybe a maybe a hectare level, but let's take it down to the plant by plant level. So what what are the uh -huh. actions we can take to measure a plant and then take action on that? That's great. That was actually um, the next question I was for you um, that I have for you. It was really interesting because it's not just. Um, kind of di diagnosing where the problem is, but why we're having the problem. Um, so based on what you said, it sounds like we're also going to be eventually be uh, able to deliver some sort of personalization or customization like we're seeing in the consumer market is what you're saying, Jim. Yeah, that's certainly our, our goal and, you know, kind of where we would like to see things, the direction we'd like to see things moving. Um, I, I think it's, it's, we're probably a little ways off before we can see that on the broad acre crops like corn and, and wheat and soy. But uh, for what we're working on more in vegetables, I think there's a real opportunity there. Um, you, you know, think about it as if, how well could we do in, in raising our crops if we were able to give every single plant individual attention? And, and that's kind of where we're, we're targeting this is to say, We've now got the processing capability in, the, you know, in terms of computer vision, in terms of the amount of, compu uh, of computing power that we have to be able to do this in real time. So can we actually take that data, gather it, and take actions and go from, you know, through all the stages that Alex described, you know, from getting your field ready where your, your seeds are being planted and then they start to germinate all the way through harvest. Amazing. Um, so you also mentioned different crops. Um, so I would assume they present different types of challenges. Um, so Alex, w what are some of the crops that will benefit first um, from this first wave of precision agriculture development? And what are some of the crops that will be the hardest to tackle? Yeah, so I think uh, Jim mentioned uh, some of the vegetable type crops. These are, you know, on a per acre basis are, are of much higher value. And so you have the potential to apply some uh, more expensive uh, advances in technology to those early, early on, such as robotics and, uh, and high-level sensing technologies and that type of thing. I think that uh, as, as we get further into this over the next five years or so, that uh, even the broad acreage crops or, or field crops such as cotton, corn, soybeans, rice, wheat, uh, sorghum, and so forth, uh, will benefit from probably all of these technologies. I think the robotic technologies uh, will be a little slower coming in that area just because the acreages that we're talking about are so large. 
but the sensing technology certainly, and I think we're also going to be slower to uh, get to the level of individual plants in these broad acreage crops, but we are going to be, I think, working down at the, uh, say, few square meters resolution, even with the broad acreage crops. And, you know, of course, this depends somewhat on the the size of the equipment and your ability to uh, to manipulate equipment such as uh, sprayers and harvesters and so forth. Well, it's really amazing what the new machines can do, um, but I would think that they're very expensive. Um, Jim, have you heard from the farmers in terms of um, what the ROIs look like? Are they better now um, in order to justify for the additional cost? Yeah, yeah, it's certainly a challenge, and I think that goes back to Alex, Alex's comment that I definitely agree with is on these these larger-scale field crops, uh, the technology just isn't there and the costs aren't there to make it practical to do it on a, on a very small level, on plant-by-plant level. Uh, you're going to start to see meter-by-meter meter or, you know, hectare-by-hectare, acre-by-acre level, level decisions, um, and that's going to happen. That's already happening. Um, for us, the, the costs and, and what we really try to target in vegetables where, where there is a little bit more margin in there um, and more input put into the, to the crops, since a lot of it's manual effort being put into raising the crops and, and harvesting them, uh, we see that there's, there's a good business opportunity there. Uh, the other thing, that we, the way we've approached it, and I think that's been why we've been successful in, in this first segment of the market, is that we offer it as a service. So the, the farmers don't have to lay out any capital. There's no investment up front. We've sort of taken that on ourselves and operate just on an acre-by-acre acre basis where we're, the farmers bring us in to, to provide the service and provide these operations. And so it's very economical to them. It's, it's an equivalent cost to what they're already putting into the, into the um, operation. Okay, so you're touching on your business model, which sounds very interesting. So are they on the rental basis? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, well, I wouldn't call it rental necessarily, but more of a service. So we, we own the hardware, we, we maintain that, uh, and, but they bring us in and they call us up and say, hey, there's this field that needs to be thinned, uh, can you guys come and do this? And so we offer, it's essentially a competitive service to what they would traditionally do using manual labor. Uh, and it's, it's at a great time right now for them because the manual labor, the labor market, for agriculture is really tight and very, uh, it's very challenging for them to get the labor in the places they need it. And particularly in these areas like weeding and thinning, the the um, value that they associate with that is much less than something like harvesting. And so they have a real hard time keeping the labor focused in all these areas that maybe aren't as valuable and as, as high, highly paid as something like a harvest. Mm, so are you also uh, providing operators as well? Is that yes, what exactly. That's that's correct. Yeah, we we have a full service staff, uh, you know, operators that run the machines every day. Uh, we're doing hundreds of acres each week, uh, and just we're continuing to build this up. We're probably at about five percent of the market right now, um, but we expect to just continue to to build on that. Mm, interesting, um, Alex. I also wanted to go back to the ROI um, question. I don't know if you have any insight on that as well. Yeah, I, I think I do. I mean, I, I really agree that uh, services are going to be probably the largest segment of the industry with respect to a lot of the new technologies that are coming out. Uh, you know, when you look at the, the use of drones for remote sensing, I mean, it's very seldom that you're going to see a farmer or a producer himself be able to uh, not only purchase the equipment, but to be able to know how to operate it. And if he gets that far What's he going to do with the data that he collects? Um, it's much more common that uh, you're going to have regional service entities uh, that will provide these services to producers on, say, a, a cost-per-acre basis. Very interesting. Um, so what are the uh, implications for, say, organic um, crops as opposed to non-organic or GMO crops? Are they different? You know, I would say that uh, for the most part, uh, those producers that are growing organically are going to have the same types of opportunities that the uh, more conventional growers are, are using. You know, certainly with respect to the application of certain types of fertilizers and pesticides, there will be differences. Uh, but, uh, you know, organic producers have to use some means of mitigating pests as well. And uh, knowing where those pests are and being able to differentiate between the pests and the crop is still going to be critical for them. Mm. So, Jim, what, what's, is that the case for your product as well? 
Yeah, I think I think for us it's, it's a little different. Not, I think it's it's definitely true that the same challenges apply, um, but it, it does change the equation a bit. Uh, certainly in organics, there's a little bit more um, more buffer in terms of margin and you know kind of the, the amount of money that they put into. Uh, raising those crops. Uh, but I think there are new challenges in terms of, uh, as Alex mentioned, kind of what types of, of materials you can apply in terms of pesticides. Um, certainly the way the, their um, fields are maintained and, and, and laid out are, are quite different. Uh, you see a lot of different challenges in just getting into the field and, and um, being able to identify the plants. There, there tends to be a lot more um, Kind of matter mixed into the soil that makes it more challenging, uh, and the scale is is not there. Uh, so, you know, if you if you look at uh, sweet corn or organic corn versus uh, field corn, you know, they almost don't show up on the same graph. Their their scale is so different, and so when you get motivated by the total opportunity, it's it's a much bigger challenge. Uh, the number of acres is much smaller in organics. It's a little more fragmented. You don't you don't have big players that can drive a business opportunity. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit different and a little more challenging, and I think we would like to get there, but certainly the the real business opportunities to get started, kind of low-hanging fruit, if you will, are in traditional crops, commercial, conventional mm-hmm. crops. Interesting. All right, let's take another break. For up-to-date business and innovation trends, go to bizreinvention.com or follow me on Twitter at bizreinvention. We'll be back after two minutes. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of the curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we help leaders at fast-growing companies develop the leadership capacity necessary to manage growth more effectively. Contact us today to learn more about our executive coaching services and leadership workshops. Call 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com to transform your business and leadership with Change Agent SF. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So, Alex, what do you think is the implication or implications for the overall food industry? Would this be uh, bringing down the cost for consumers or are there other impacts? Uh, Nancy, you know, I think one of the critical aspects of this is the increase in population that we're seeing around the world. Uh, that's projected to be for the next 85 years or so, growing uh, another 60% world population before we plateau. Uh, So I think one of the critical aspects of this uh, is just our ability to produce the amount of food that we need uh, for the number of people that we expect to have. And that comes at the same time that some arable land that we're uh, growing crops on around the world is being converted over to use as roads or, or converted over for urbanization purposes. So really, we've got to be able to about double our productivity in conventional crops over the next uh, 50 to 80 years. Mm. So, Jim, is that kind of same thing you're seeing with the lettuce grower? Um, what's the impact on them so far? Yeah, certainly. Well, I think the, the productivity is one that, that everybody's talking about in ag. Uh, it, it's 
it's just a key that, that everybody's concerned about. I don't know that kind of as a, as a global community we, we have this awareness of this is a challenge. But uh, the projections really say that we've got to get, get a lot more productivity out of these farms and, and how do you unlock that. So I think that's, mm. that's a key area. I think the other part and, and what kind of drew us into, into working in these systems is also environmental impact. And uh, can you do things like reduce the use of water, reduce use of chemicals, um, those are all things that as you get more and more or better data and more and more sophisticated in, in the way you apply these things that you can hopefully, and, and I'm not sure we've proven this yet, but hopefully the, the goal is to use less of, of each of those, less water, less less pesticide, uh, especially if you think about it on a plant-by-plant level. Right now, things are sprayed on a broad acre basis. They just you know, fumigate the whole, whole field uh, with the same amount of chemical, but if you could change those rates and use only what you needed or even kind of squirt just a minute amounts on the weeds that you wanted to kill, you could really cut the rates significantly. So it sounds like based on what you both, you know, your input from both of you is that maybe um, all these smart machines will help us maintain the cost, um, you know, in response to higher demand in the future, as opposed to actually reducing the cost. Um, sounds like more the prediction uh, like that. Um, so going back to what you touch on the environmental impact, um, even though we don't have the statistic yet, sounds like, um, do you think that consumers and companies eventually will be able to use new technology to verify sustainability claims, Alex? Yeah, certainly. And I think there are a lot of aspects of the industry uh, that are trying to deal with that issue right now. And a lot of that is just uh, developing uh, definitions of terms and so forth and developing the ability to measure uh, metrics that we want to keep up with to uh, prove that we're being sustainable in the way that we produce our crops. Uh, but I see, I work a lot in the cotton industry, and so I'm very familiar with uh, one of the industry organizations called Cotton Incorporated. And they and, and several other uh, related organizations are working closely together to develop basically uh, uh, a system that can be operated off of a cell phone, for example, to enter data and so forth that can track sustainability practices in farming. Mm. So, Jim, do you also think that maybe in the future, um, when we have case of food contamination, we might be able to use geocoded public health data to allow investigator to kind of track down where the problem crops are? I mean, certainly that's the ideal. Uh, I think there's there's a challenge there in in tracking some of the, these products, and and I, I don't know how, how quickly we'll be able to get to that. I think there's a real cost there that I don't see consumers willing to pay yet. Uh, in terms of tracking it at kind of a you know, plant-by-plant level or, or maybe a, a little, little bit more aggregate level, um, that's a big challenge. It, even though we, can, we have the data uh, that we could get right out of that field, tying that and tracking that all the way through the food chain is a real challenge. Uh, and it, it requires a lot of people getting on board, probably a lot of government regulation to enforce that uh, because you, know, you really have to go from that, corn that was harvested all the way through the cattle that ate it. <laughs> so it's, it's a long food chain that you have to tie this whole thing together. Mm. Yeah, if, Nancy, if I could just follow up on that real quick. I, I have been involved, uh, it's, it's sort of gone silent the last couple of years, but I've been involved in a research project that was looking at how to uh, perform tracing of, of grains once they're harvested and going through the food supply chain. It's an extremely difficult challenge because uh, grains such as corn and wheat and so forth are harvested in just massive amounts, and then they tend to be intermingled at various points along the supply chain. And we have come up with some solutions for that that involve dropping, if you will, food-grade uh, tracer particles into the grain uh, that, ha- that carry information along with them and can be sampled out of the grain at a later point to determine with some level of detail where the grain came from, and it's probably at the subfield level if the technology is is used as it should be. So, so there is research going on in that area. Mm, that's really good to know. Um, so, Jim, what do you think um, is possible ten or twenty years from now with uh, smart machines? <laughs> um, well, I think. One of the things that's, that I think is going to be really interesting is is tying the data all the way through the full life cycle of crops and and even beyond that year to year 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 over year uh, behavior. Uh, you know, I think we go in at this very early stage when the plants are just coming up and and uh, are fighting weeds there. 
but I think we'll also start to see harvest data that gets collected as, as we automate that. Right now, harvest data in specialty crops like vegetables is almost non-existent. You, you can get it at, again, a field level, but you, you can't get it. You don't understand what's happening to individual plants or even individual sections of a field. Uh, but if you could tie that all together and understand the impact of the different pesticides you're using and the different rates of nutrient application and watering and what that does to yield, you start to be able to close the loop here and you know kind of have a good feedback cycle that, that tells you you can run experiments even and say, okay, I added a little more fertilizer in this case, what did it do to my yield? And do it for each variety of plant and, and really start to build a build something that, that you can improve on year after year. Mm. Well, I know, Jim, that one of your um, um, expertise is in robotics. Um, so do you also see um, ro- robots actually replacing the fruit pickers in the future, um, maybe using electro-adhesive technology that they're developing right now, other um, robotic-related technology. Are we going to see that day um, yeah, taking place yeah. someday? I, I think absolutely. Um, you know, some of these problems are harder than others. Getting getting uh, a picker up into an apple tree is a challenge. Uh, but the, the one thing that's been really interesting in going to robotics conferences recently is the amount of excitement and energy that's going into robotics for agriculture. So uh, I, I do think you're going to see a lot more of these. Uh, we've already started to see, uh, for example, there's um, a new company that has a strawberry harvester, strawberry picker, um, and they're trying to commercialize that. Uh, so you're already starting to see it, especially in some of these higher value crops. Um, and clearly, you know, things like uh, harvesting corn and soy, that's, that's highly automated. I mean, you have a driver driving, driving the machine through, but uh, it's amazing to watch that process. So, so a lot of that's already been automated, but if you look at picking individual fruits, I think that's where the, the next, not revolution, but you know, the next great step is going to be in robotics for agriculture. Mm. Well, Alex, I also want to give you an opportunity to talk about uh, what you think the future will look like. Yeah, so uh, in terms of precision agriculture, most, which is mostly what we've been talking about, uh, precision agriculture is just really an optimization of inputs versus outputs at as fine a level as we can uh, get to. Uh, that involves sensing. I think there is a tremendous uh, opportunity for researchers and for companies to get involved in the sensing aspects of this. Jim's already mentioned quite a bit about uh, machine vision, machine learning, and so forth, which is all uh, so part of that, uh, another aspect of this is analytics, you know, so if you can collect uh, just an immense amount of data about a particular crop, how do you use the data that you've collected to enable you to make uh, wise decisions about where to apply your resources? That's a, an extremely non-trivial uh, part of the equation. And then finally, uh, you know, the machine solutions uh, such as robots and enhanced uh, uh, conventional machines I think are, are a big part of this and, and uh, give us a lot of opportunity to improve our uh, output versus input uh, ratio. You know, the other aspect that we haven't talked about at all yet, one, it's, it's really the other major factor, I think, in improving our productivity over the next 40 or 50 years is just improving crops themselves. Uh, that is done either through breeding or it's done through, uh, through genetics. And uh, there are a lot of aspects where some of the technologies that we've already talked about enable us to improve our ability to, to breed better crops more quickly uh, through measurement of all kinds of aspects of the crops. And this, this whole idea is called uh, high-throughput phenotyping. And for that, we can use robots with a number of sensors that are collecting data from the crops, or we can use things like uh, remote sensing with drones uh, to collect data from the crops at a very high level of detail that give the breeders and geneticists an opportunity to make much more rapid selection of better crops. Wow, that's and, really fascinating. Oh, well, Jim, did you yeah, want to Sorry, say Alex. Yeah, yeah, if I could just follow on to that. Uh, you, set, you set me up perfectly there because uh, that's the other section in, in, uh, of a uh, sector of, of agriculture that we're working in is this notion of high-throughput phenotyping. And we think that's got great potential to unlock even more productivity from our crops. Uh, we essentially have machines now that go in to breeders' plots. So we're focusing not on the farmer, but just on the people that are trying to get better plants, make, make new varieties that have better traits. So working with the breeders, and we have a machine that goes through, in particular for corn, um, 
and collects full 3D data. So we, we build models of the whole plant so that we can understand how healthy it is, how leafy it is, how many plants are there, how, how, how are they separated. And then they can track that data all the way through harvest to figure out which are the, which are the best plants to use. Fascinating. So is phenotyping kind of another way of saying uh, imaging um, uh, uh, yeah. of the crops or... Right, sorry, yeah, that, that, that's the technical term used. The way I think of it is phenotyping is the physical equi- equivalent of genotyping, of genetic data. So phenotyping is really just the physical traits that are being expressed by the plant. So, again, it could be just is the plant there, how tall is it, how leafy is it, how green is it, how healthy is it. Uh, so it's measuring the physical characteristics. And you tie that together with the genetic data, which we've gotten really good at doing, at, at sampling genetic data. Uh, you tie those two together and you can start to, again, close the loop and, and, and figure out, you know, what are these tweaks that we're doing genetically, either through genetic manipulations or just through breeding, traditional breeding operations. Um, how are those how are those impacting the outcome physically? And traditionally it's been, uh, you know, maybe a high school student intern coming in with a clipboard and a tape measure and measuring plants. So what we're doing is automating that, get, allowing them to collect richer, better data more quickly. Fascinating. Well, let's talk some more after the break. You're listening to Business We Mentioned with Nancy Lynn. You can download our podcast from Voice America, iTunes, or Stitcher, or go to our website, businesswementioned.com, for more information. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of the curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we help leaders at fast-growing companies develop the leadership capacity necessary to manage growth more effectively. Contact us today to learn more about our executive coaching services and leadership workshops. Call 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com to transform your business and leadership with Change Agent SF. You've heard of good things coming in packages. Well, maybe there's a little more to that saying, but when you think about it, packaging is one of the most important things that can represent your business. Tune in to Ditch the Box with host David Marinak. Each week, we'll discuss flexible packaging, marketing, sales, and how it all comes together in one container. Lower costs, increase margins, listen to the show. It might just save you a ton. Ditch the Box is heard live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Business. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So before the break, we're talking about um, the possibilities um, for um, agriculture, uh, say, 10 or 20 years from now. It's really a lot of exciting um, new possibilities for us to look forward to. Um, Alex, what do you think it will take for us to get from here to where we want to be 10 or 20 years um, from now? What are some of the key challenges we have to overcome? Yeah, I think there are, there are two key challenges that I see, Nancy, uh, in the next few years. And one of them relates back to what I said earlier about our ability to analyze all the data that we're bringing in. And that is just a differentiation of crop stresses. You know, a, a lot of what we're trying to do in the field is decide when and where to irrigate and how much to irrigate or when and where to apply fertilizer and how much to apply and so forth. Uh, our ability to, to do that well uh, is is just really difficult. Uh, it, it's it's something that's a challenge to us 
even now and uh, as we go forward and we're dealing with a lot more data, it becomes even more challenging. Uh, so differentiating crop stresses is one aspect of it. And the other aspect of it, I think, is data reliability. You know, we can collect uh, tons of data on one field and we can go uh, to another part of the state or even the county and collect similar data on that field. And, and we could use data sets from both fields to make decisions in general, but there is a lot of uh, difference in the way the data are typically collected. So our ability to understand uh, the data in the way that they're collected, putting appropriate metadata in, is, is a big challenge to us going forward as well. Mm, Jim? Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, you know, I think processing that data is, is, is a challenge. Uh, I also think that there's a great opportunity, but also a challenge in in trying to address how do you, you know, make that data useful at the end. So you, you need this pipeline that goes from the data collection side all the way to the action side where you're applying things in the field. Um, and there are now, I think, a lot of companies that are starting to get into that area of, of building the tool chain that allows you go, to go from the collection side to the action side. Um, but that's going to be a great challenge for technology and, and how do we pull that all together. Um, I think I think the data analysis side is going to be fun. You know, there's there's great opportunities for for again techniques in machine learning and that sort of thing. Um, but just some of the infrastructure is is, is difficult. Mm-hmm. I think maybe one other challenge that, that we see that I, I'm not sure. You know, maybe it's just something that we haven't learned how to deal with yet. But uh, when I look at some of these big crops like corn and soy, um, is the short nature in which they're grown. So uh, one of the things that's nice about lettuce is it's grown year round. So we can always be running t- tests and experiments and, and looking at the plants and getting involved in it. With corn, you have this narrow window of a couple months during the spring and summer where they're growing corn, and, and you've got to get all your tests and, and kind of learn everything you can in that, in that window. And then that window closes, unless you want to go down to South America, you're kind of waiting for the next cycle. Um, and so that's a real challenge for us as we're trying to build systems and collect data um, which is just an interesting problem. You've got these massive amounts of crops, but they all happen almost at the same time. Mm, so we still have to work on collecting data, converting from data to knowledge, and uh, moving from diagnostic to predictive analytics um, right. is kind of one of the key challenges we have. Um, what about the impact on different sectors in agriculture? Does this development favor large farm producers and put small or family farms at even uh, more, uh, even uh, more disadvantaged than they already are. At. Um, and if so, what can small farmers do to stay competitive, Alex? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think you know one of the one of the aspects of the business model that we've already talked about has been the idea of uh, services or cooperatives that will provide services to producers because they can't you know afford to provide these services for themselves. And I think that's really where the small farmer uh, has to, to be able to, to play. And it was very interesting to me. I heard a, an article, I believe, yesterday talking about uh, farmers in Germany where the fields tend to be a little smaller. And instead of fencing off their fields and operating completely separately, uh, some of the farmers in Germany have begun to combine their fields, uh, which enables uh, large equipment to go across multiple fields of multiple farmers at a time and they're going back and they're using GPS to differentiate where the crop was harvested and where the inputs went into the field so they're able to separate out their their resources uh, by analyzing the data after the fact. Wow, that's very fascinating. Uh, Jim, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, maybe. I I definitely agree that the service model I think is one that plays well not only for, for large-scale farms, but for smaller-scale farms also. Um, it, it, it's interesting to see in some ways the way in which farming has changed a little bit over, I, I, don't, I don't know the period exactly, but um, in that, that farmers very often, especially on these larger scales, are more managers than, than, execute, than, than doing, executing the activities so that they manage the different crop surfaces coming in. Uh, they get a lot of advice from people that are telling them kind of what to apply and when to apply it, and then they call in the different groups to, to help with the harvesting, to help with spraying. Um, so you've seen that a lot more where kind of these services are, are applying very focused uh, applications, and they do it for lots of different customers. Mm. So how will all this change human role in agriculture? It sounds like eventually the machines will do the hard thinking for us, and then humans will become the order takers. Um, is that the picture you're seeing for the future, Jim? 
I, I don't know if I quite see it that way, but I, I think you know one of the one of the keys to using technology is that you end up um, replacing some some labor that tends to be lower skilled labor, and you replace it with other other types of labor, people that are managing these tools and, and utilizing the tools. Um, I don't see the farmers ever becoming an order taker, but more that they are managing kind of this fleet of machines that are helping them with with their operations, and I think. It goes back to what Alex mentioned earlier: this need to scale our productivity. Uh, it's not that we need we're going to need fewer farmers. We're going to need the same number of farmers. They're just going to have to produce more, and so the machines unlock that and open up the ability to for higher production level. Well, I've learned a great deal today from both of you, um, Jim and Alex. Thank you for bringing us up to date on precision agriculture. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you. And I'm going to be more grateful tonight at dinner now that I know how much work goes into it. Um, and for those in the audience, I hope you have enjoyed our show today. Please join me again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time or download our podcast so that you can listen to the show on the go. Feel free to tweet me your comments at BizWeInvention or check out our website at BizWeInvention.com. Hope to talk to you again next week. Take care. We hope that you've enjoyed Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Please join us for another edition of our groundbreaking program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In the meantime, follow Nancy on Twitter at BizReinvention to keep up on the innovation trends and information about our next show. Or go to BizReinvention.com for more business insights. That's B-I-Z-Reinvention.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 